Hello everyone, my name is Joshua Gilliland, attorney blogger on Bowtie Law and with Jessica Meterson on The Legal Geeks. Today, Judge Matthew Shrino and I will talk about the new Doctor Who episode, Into the Dalek. Your Honor, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Josh? Fantastic. It's Labor Day weekend and we have season eight of Doctor Who now in full swing. And most of America is off to celebrate. <laughs> As we should be. As we should be. Unfortunately, not as me. Well, you know, you are a judge, and a lot of people don't re realize that. Even but, though but I am, I am off now. Just so that there's no ethical problems, I am off now. My work day does not start till five p.m. Outstanding. <laughs> yeah. For for those who do not know, the Constitution never sleeps, and people tend to get in trouble at any time of day. So the the good judge is going into night court tonight too. Uh, help uphold the Constitution due process. <laughs> so, Your Honor, what do you think of the new doctor? I, I, I like him. I mean, it's it, it certainly, you know, I, I think with the, um, all that was kind of wrapped up in the, in the time war and um, th there, there, there was a need for a return to a serious older doctor not that i think any of the younger doctors were were not good I, I think they did a phenomenal job but i i i think they they've 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 moved up the tone you know with a real serious um doctor who who i, I think is going to take it to the next level as far as the investigation of some of where his people might be as well as um a little bit more of a a a you know, less funny doctor, I guess. But but he does have that, you know, humor. He's just a phenomenal actor, too. I mean, he has facial expressions that literally can give 15 lines in one look. Yeah, his eyes, the way he communicates emotion just with his gaze is impressive. I mean, and, and they clearly realize that because they focus in on his eyes and his and his and his look a lot. So, you know, it's, it's clearly Steve Moffat knows that he's got something there and he's using it. Yeah, it's, you know, compared to Matt Smith, who was you know, 26 when he got the role, he could still have the, the look of wisdom as an older person who's seen a lot, a lot of horrible things. And Capaldi brings a different gravitas to it. And I really like Matt Smith and I'm glad he's getting into movies. He's going to have a very long career. Capaldi's intensity, and then the one-liner, liner such as that includes karaoke and mimes. You know, he can deliver that. It's just awesome. Yeah, he is a very, very good actor, and and, and I, I like the dynamic between him and Clara, and and I think it makes for an interesting uh, relationship with the two of them. And I liked in the first episode. Uh, the bringing back of the Max, Matt Smith. I, I've seen some criticism and some blogs and stuff online. I, I thought it was it was handled well. I think she needed that, you know, that extra push to just remind her that yes, they are the same person. It might be a different outer shell, but it's still the same person. Agreed. So let's talk about Into the Dalek. What did you like about the episode? I, I think it was a uh, it was really a. a a ode to geek them in, in so many levels. It had salutes to every major um, science-fi movie television series out there, and 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 I like the Daleks. I, I think that there's there's something um, 
old school about them. I mean, because they, they clearly don't look like your, your nightmare of, of technology, but there's something about them. They're very, very powerful. And, and I like the way it, it almost brings the old school Doctor Who into the, the, the new Doctor Who and marries them together. And, and, and this was a really, really good episode. The fact they're finding new ways to be creative with the Daleks, even though this did have overtones from uh, Christopher Eccleston episode and some other areas as well, uh, but they are doing a decent job of keeping things original. And this issue of what if a Dalek was good, um, the ethical impact of that was neat. Uh, Absolutely. And it, it reminded me also a little bit of the episode uh, Into the TARDIS, where they, they really got into the inner workings of the TARDIS. And, and again, that episode, uh, not with soldiers, but with scavengers, had a, a, some similar issues with regards to uh, almost the the uh how human the ship was to some extent, maybe an evil human in, in the, in the Dalek one, but a, a, a good human in the TARDIS, but uh, certainly does bring out some of the, 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 the inner workings of the programming or actually is it a thinking thing? I mean, and, and the Dalek does have a living entity part to it. Yeah. And you can see, you know, I started thinking about it because the Daleks were flat out based on the Nazis. I mean, there's no question about that. And you know, after World War II, the, the Nazis are the ultimate bad guy ever. But they're still good Germans. And that I started thinking about that in depth, that duplicity that we had after World War II and the decades that followed. And... You know, you, you had one group that there was absolutely no forgiveness. And then you have the other group that does seek redemption. You look at Germany today, which is, I don't know if they were trying to touch on that, but it was definitely a very interesting, well, at least I thought about it. I don't know if others thought about it. And they've done a good job of keeping the Daleks, you know, kind of relevant, even though clearly the, the fascist Germany approach, although some can make the argue with, with ISIS and, and, and some of the other uh, rises of, of religious um, totalitarianism that, that you can make the simple uh, argument that although the, the name of the fascist uh, might change, there is still clearly fascist enemies out there. Yeah. Danger doesn't stop and it just finds a new form. Well, let's, uh, what, pardon me, let's think about, the geek homages that we saw. So I saw three big ones. Uh, what jumped out at you? There was one that we, we talked about earlier in, in the Star Wars realm, the, the falling in down the garbage chute into the slime and the sludge. Uh, you know, a clear ode to uh, the, the original Star Wars movie. Um, we had the shrinking of, the, of the, sh the ship putting into the body of the Dalek and was a fantastic voyage uh, part two to some extent. And, and was almost even an identical to the movie in the way that they shrunk the ship. It, it was the sound. I don't know if they grabbed some of the same sounds, but it was very, very similar to, to that movie uh, as well. And then you had the Dalek delivering the great line of, of resistance is futile and, and, and was just done, you know, in, in such a way, it's just like pop, it was like, 
here, it's like, this is the telegraph of there's going to be more of this to come. And uh, it, it was really, really good. I loved it. And it's funny, I watched Fantastic Voyage in July on one night on Netflix. I, it was in my uh, suggestion box. Like, oh, it's been 20 years since I saw that. So that was kind of fun. I didn't know that they were going to do that. But what a lovely uh, tribute to that. And hearing the doctor say, you know, looking at the shrinking device, yes, that would make a fantastic movie. It's like, dude. It's really, really good. I mean, Steve, Steve Moffat really outdid himself, I think, with, with some of the, the odes to geekdom and, and sci-fi. And, and I think it's because he appreciates um, a lot of the sci-fi that has come before him. He clearly appreciates Doctor Who, as Peter does. I mean, you, you, can, you can just tell how much fun that, that, that he is having playing Doctor Who, and it almost jumps off the screen at you. Did you watch the special about the world tour before the episode? I did. I did. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Looking at the, the fan base all over the world, but the loyalty in South Korea and Australia, uh, the folks in Mexico, I mean, that crowd was looked like a lot of fun. And it was just like, rock on. You know, the fact that this TV show that started with no budget 51 years ago it's just universally loved is truly unprecedented i mean the the next closest thing would be star trek right and i think it really touched moffat too that he was getting the rock store rock star applause and standing ovation even more so than some of the actors as as you know he he and maybe that's you know the show hadn't started yet so peter wasn't known as well outside, you know, maybe if Matt Smith was there, the applause would have been through the roof. But, but he was he was getting, you know, really the recognition that that uh, he didn't think he deserved, and I I, th I think that was a, a nice tribute to him as well. Did you see the second Star Wars shout out, or at least what I thought was one? No, maybe not. When the the rebel soldiers are waiting for the Daleks to breach the security wall. Oh, it, it, it was right out of the Darth Vader coming into the, uh, in, into the, in, into the rebel ship. Absolutely. Yes. I thought like, this and even the way the door came out and they came in and, and, and the sounds, it was, it was straight, straight out of, uh, out of, uh, the rebel ship. Yeah. And even to the point of the rebel soldiers in position, waiting for them to come in at the, at the choke point. It's just like, yeah. I've seen this before. So, well done, guys. Well done. Well, let's and possibly there's even the overall the, leading into the, the issue we're going to talk about next, where the, the, the needs of the many um, are outweighed by the needs of the few. And, and clearly that, that could be almost the subheading of, of the, the next discussion. Well, let's talk about that discussion with using the soldier as bait who was getting attacked by the antibodies. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? There was, you know, and there's, there's two ways to look at it. The, fir the first one was, was involuntary uh, in, in that, you know, the, the doctor knew that he was going to be using him as bait, but he also at that point was already going to be the bait and, and there was no chance of saving him. Um, the second soldier voluntarily made these, the, uh, you know, put her hand up uh, on a suicide mission, basically. And, and I think that, you know, that, that soldier saw that that was the only way to save the rest of them and, and their ship and everything else was to make that ultimate sacrifice. 
and, and it was voluntary in, in nature. Um, can, can, can it be ordered? A absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's, it certainly have been many, many times that a general has, uh, you know, there, there are no times that a general puts troops on, on the battlefield thinking, oh, no one's going to get killed. There are always going to be uh, casualties. And, and unfortunately, that's, that's part of war. And, and until we see the end of war, there will always be casualties. And one of the things Dr. Who showed that no matter how much we evolve and how long into the future we get, we seem to always be at war with somebody or something. Yeah. And when I saw the first soldier who tripped the antibodies, again, there was the immediate fantastic voyage issue. Also with the antibodies. Exactly. Not that they were like a blob that absorbed the guy. Yes. But they didn't have the giant red blood cells that, yeah. uh, you know, these were a little bit more high tech blood cells. Exactly. But I thought necessity defense. And I remember, you know, flashing back to law school, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the necessity defense, there was a hypothetical that my professor used of you're on a trolley crashing down a hill. You see somebody on the tracks and you pull out a gun and you shoot them. So they fall over the tracks and you use them as a brake to stop the trolley and save yourself and everyone else on board. That would be murder. I mean, and justified murder. You can't say I shot a guy in order to save everybody else. That would not be okay. On the flip side, if somebody on the trolley had a heart attack and died, and you threw their body out the front window to use as a brake, that would be, you know, you maimed the corpse, but the person was dead already, and you saved everyone by doing it. You know, we're kind of in that situation of, the first soldier was marked for death. He was going to die. There, there wasn't a way to save him. He was, he was dead man walking. He, he was, he just fellow troops didn't know it yet at that point either. Yeah, just super sad that it's like, Ugh. you know, and the doctor being cold about it, he was dead already. I was saving us. It's like, ouch, but right morally and legally uh, for, for what he did. Well, let's talk about the duty to treat prisoners. And we have an Eighth Amendment issue with we have to provide medical care to those incarcerated. And could you share your thoughts on the episode with treating the sick Dalek? Yeah, which was you know a very interesting twist. And clearly they were um, following whatever convention might have been in effect at that point and that they were providing care for this Dalek, uh, and they, they didn't kill it or destroy it or salvage its parts or anything along those lines. They, they, they were looking for a doctor to uh, treat uh, and, and, and fix this Dalek. Now, the, the, the fixing of a Dalek is, is, is a little bit different than the, the fixing of, of a human in that the fixing of the Dalek would be returning to its original program, which is something that calls for the extermination of humans and, and the human race. Which is problematic and argu arguably a mental condition because of the way the cybernetic part of the Dalek keeps it from learning and developing a conscience and its own feelings. That could be a mental issue that would require treatment if captured. So that's, what, what's your thought on that? 
it's a, you know it's an interesting you know is the entire Dalek race the sick race or was this one uh, the sick race with this implant that was put into it, which also could be maybe a bit of an ode to the Clone Wars and to the Clone Troopers and to the the device that was installed in them uh, to keep them to follow Order sixty six and, and to keep them to follow orders. Um, but the 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 here we, we're dealing with the the Dalek who um, did this piece. You know, there there are cases and and, and dealing with forced medication uh, of people to uh, keep them sane or saner or less dangerous to themselves or to others. And those things are allowed. Uh, so clearly here, um, you know, you might be allowed to keep this Dalek in a sick condition uh, to protect others. Yeah. And because you can the state can force psychotropic drugs on someone who's incarcerated for the safety of others and the safety of that individual. Very interesting with the Dalek, because if it's the programming that's keeping the biological entity from living and experiencing and growing, that's an interesting issue. Uh, I don't know if that means you have to try treating every Dalek you capture because it's a giant killing machine. But it's definitely an interesting spin. Uh, You can also make the analogy of of dealing with uh, where you have the situation where you need to medicate a prisoner so that they would be sane uh, and more able to uh, participate in their own defense at trial. Whereas if they did not take the medications and were not sane, they would be spending the rest of their life in a mental hospital, which arguably is clearly better than, than in the jail. Um, so you're forcing the medication to make them sane, to stand trial so that they can actually sometimes face a worse punishment than they have currently by not taking the drugs. And there's some really interesting uh, decisions in case law on all of that. That and there's also for our listeners who are not familiar with the insanity defense, there there are two directions with it. There's the not sane to stand trial, which means they still could have been sane when they committed the act that put them on trial, versus the insanity defense overall, saying I was insane at the time that I committed the act, which also means I'm not sane to stand trial, and medication could make them sane to stand trial. They could still argue the insanity defense for the act committed that they lack the mens rea. And those are the two differences. And a lot of people don't understand that because it's a little complex for a lot of folks. So, and that's okay. Have you seen cases like that? You know, we get a lot of uh, during arraignments and during the initial stage, uh, what is a, in New York, uh, a 730 issue by, by the Criminal Procedure Law, Section 730, dealing with uh, fitness for trial. And I don't know what California has, but we have an interesting distinction in that if you're found unfit for trial and you're charged with a misdemeanor, the case gets dismissed. End of story. The case is over. For a felony, if you're found unfit uh, for trial, basically we put you into a mental institution, mental hospital, 
where they try to get you fit for trial and then they bring you back every so often and you and we get the report from the doctors as to whether or not you're now fit not or unfit but the felony case never gets dismissed unless the prosecution at some point might get tired and not feel like it can't prosecute it anymore. But there's that initial distinction. So that part of it, I, I, I do have. Um, so in as much as I do trials and misdemeanors, if they're found to be unfit, those trials don't ever happen because the case is dismissed. So I haven't dealt with any insanity at the trial level. Clearly some of my colleagues have. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, the new season of Doctor Who has some great potential and this last episode just had so many neat legal issues in it that i'm looking forward to seeing where they go so and, and even as to peter himself as to you know at the end where he asked you know am i a good person uh, and and i think that's the overwhelming theme that's going to be of this season is whether it is him finding out uh, if he's a good person or not and, and it's almost a, a back to the uh, Christopher Doctor Who, in that he he was a little harsher and 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 uh, you know less concerned with the consequences of his actions, and some of the companions kind of brought that out of him, and and I think that uh, that's that's Clara's purpose in this season, and it's going to be interesting to see. Agreed. He reminds, and, and maybe we saw the next companion. You know, at least some of the blogs say that. Which would be cool because there there needs to be a buddy. I miss Jamie, who is the second Doctor's companion, and the Brigadier who ran around with many Doctors. Uh, two, three, four, five. I don't remember if six interacted with them, but I think seven did. So, so he somebody like that, you know, that that old friend would be nice as opposed to. Um, you know, they're, they're past kind of the boyfriend-girlfriend tease, which is good. I'm glad that's over. But it is fascinating. It will be fun. It will be a lot of fun. So with that, Your Honor, I want to thank you for your time. And I know we will continue to talk Doctor Who because it's awesome and we've got a great season. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.